This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we discuss Vanderbilt's disastrous 62 to nothing loss to Georgia this past Saturday. We dive into our three main takeaways and also touch on Vanderbilt being a 14-point favorite over UConn next Saturday. We also dive into the state of the program right now and a little bit of a closer look at how long this Clark Lee rebuild might actually take. We've got myself, Billy Derrick, and Will Byram coming up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Before we get into today's episode, it's now time to set it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor, Alaco Fine Wood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 110. It is September 27th, 2021. We are powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. If you ever need a hardwood flooring job done on your house, give them a call. Will, Georgia has absolutely manhandled Vanderbilt, 62 to nothing. And we will dive into this game, but from our perspective, we are going to dive in more of, into more of the bigger picture and, and what this, um, not necessarily what this game uh, you know, does for the rest of the season, but what another game in this schedule tells us about this team and, 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 and what we may want to see th- uh, you know, in, in, against UConn and then leading into uh, the rest of the season. Of course, as always, uh, after our recaps, we will give our three main takeaways. And uh, heading into next week, Vandy is a 14-point a favorite over UConn. So uh, we, will, we will touch on that, but we'll uh, 62-0. That's that's really unacceptable, and and you know I didn't expect Vanderbilt not to score, but uh, I, I, man, our predictions were were way off. I wouldn't say they were way off. I mean, I, I adjusted mine because I thought Bolivis would be able to hit a kick uh, late in that game to forty five to ten, but I had it forty five yeah. to seven. Well, I I was way off. I'll take that. I'll take that. Play. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we we both predicted a butt whooping. I don't think even we expected it to be this bad. Mm-hmm. I, I expected Vanderbilt. I think in my prediction, I said Vanderbilt wouldn't cross the twenty yard line in the first three quarters. Well, that certainly didn't that happen. They ba- they barely crossed midfield. They did have one opportunity where Bolivis unfortunately missed a kick where they actually could have put in po- put points on the board. But that game was over within the first five minutes of the game. Yeah. Yeah. The talent differential, the coaching level and level at which they were setting up their plays and confusing the defense and the offense on Vanderbilt's side. Vanderbilt was just outclassed in every facet of that game. And actually it looked like Georgia fans were quite bored throughout yeah. uh, inside of that, inside of that stadium. Yeah. They came for kind of an exciting, maybe Vanderbilt scores a couple touchdowns, but they, you know, it didn't seem like the more, the a rambunctious Georgia crowd we're used to and probably not surprised by that, but uh, we will go through some of Clark Lee's uh, post-game quotes. Again, our three main takeaways, uh, but before we, before we get to those, don't forget to follow us 
on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's recap Georgia. Alumni Hall is the go-to shopping destination for Vanderbilt gear. Stop into their Brentwood location at the Hill Center or shop online at alumnihall.com forward slash Vanderbilt dash Commodores. A special 10% discount is awarded to students and military members. Plus, all year round, Alumni Hall carries brands like Nike, Johnny O, Champion, Yeti, and much more. Even better, with an excellent selection of women's fashion, Alumni Hall is the one-stop shop for the whole family. Help support Vanderbilt Athletics by purchasing your black and gold gear from the Alumni Hall. Stop by their store in Brentwood at the Hill Center or log on to alumnihall.com forward slash Vanderbilt dash Commodores. All right, well, per usual, Alumni Hall, uh, for, for those of you uh, that uh, are fully aware of our partnership with them, continue uh, continued uh, love for them, and, and you will receive a free gift with your purchase of $50 or more. You'll have the option of choosing between Vanderbilt pint glasses and slim can koozies for your game day. Drink of choice in Vandyville. This deal is only valid in store, so be sure to stop by Alumni Hall on 201 Franklin Road in Brentwood inside the Hill Center. Their doors are open from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., so don't forget to stop in before Vandy and UConn kick off uh, next Saturday. That is a uh, night game. That'll be on ESPNU. So uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, really love that. But, Will, let, let's dive into Georgia. Georgia beats Vanderbilt 62 to nothing. They outgained the Commodores 524 to 77. That was their biggest margin of victory in an SEC game in the modern era and the second biggest road shutout in the SEC's modern era. Uh, Coach Lee, however, he said the game was more about what Vanderbilt did wrong. And, you know, you can we can disagree agree or disagree with that. But uh, I, I thought some of his quotes were honest. I mean, it, it, after the game, you can't you can't really, you know, be, put him in the wrong for some of the things he's been saying. I mean, he's been putting it the way it is. Um, and he did take a lot of the blame for this one. He said, this is on me. Um, and I think that might have been the first time he said that. He's probably felt that way, you know, throughout the season. But, uh, well, I thought some of his quotes uh, stood out a little bit. But, uh, man, initial thoughts after this one, because it was, like you said, it was over after the first few Georgia drives. Yeah, my – I think I sent into our door report group message and said my expectations were low but wow. And when Vanderbilt was down 35, nothing within about eight minutes of that game, I was pretty shocked. And it's amazing to me. I think I tweeted out late at night. I said, it's pretty amazing to think back that it was only five years ago in 2016 that mm -hmm. Vanderbilt went in between the hedges and beat Georgia 17 to 16 Crazy. on that Zach Cunningham fourth down stop. And that has happened and turned so fast. And just as much as Vanderbilt has fallen in the last five years, in all honesty, Georgia has risen up those ranks in the last five years. And it has been really impressive to see what Kirby Smart has done there. Even though I dislike Georgia greatly, the amount of talent he's accumulated at a program that was kind of a, I don't want to say sleeping giant because it was always a good program yeah. in the SEC East, but it was more of one of those teams. They were not up at that level of this repeated Alabama national championship contender. Now every four or five years or so, they would put together a roster that could compete for a national championship. But for the most part, they were in that top tier of top five teams, but they've elevated themselves well above that that top five rank and they're in the elite tier of sec teams and unfortunately vanderbilt has gone the complete opposite direction i i know i know they played vanderbilt but georgia they're legit i mean i'm not saying this game showed us you know i think their, their defense game, their game, is legit legit that is. is the probably the best defensive line 
I may have ever seen. I mean, that in, play in between that, the first four weeks of the season. I, I, I point to the play where Ben Cox got absolutely manhandled and basically thrown to the ground um, off of a off of a, one of their defensive linemen, Jalen Carter, who's going to be a first round draft pick, and just you know demolish the running back. So there were certain plays in that game where you look at and you go. Yeah, that, that basically is the game in a nutshell and the matchup in a nutshell and how these teams compare. Uh, but we'll going through some of Clark Lee's quotes after the game. He said, we came out flat. We turned the ball over. We made mistakes in the special teams area. And look, it doesn't matter who you play against. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. So for me, it isn't about them. It's about us. It's about how we perform. He also said, this is just a point in the progression line. It doesn't shake us because we understand it doesn't define us. This is everything that we've talked about all the way up until this point. Uh, and then one more, he said, this is the long, hard way. And, and you learn about yourself in a game like this. Um, you know, they've learned about themselves throughout the season in every game. But you also learn about yourself in your response to a game like this. And they're disappointed. I mean, he, he put it he put it as point blank as it could have been. So, well, I think that's been I don't I hate saying reassuring after game after a loss like this, but it's definitely something where they know where they are. They're not setting unrealistic expectations for themselves and he's putting it how it is. And, and that's the bottom line for this team right now. Will they are the, the fact the facts are the facts. They are not they are 62 points worse than Georgia right now. That's where this team is. Georgia is likely, I expect them to go on and win the national championship. I'm not just saying that because they demolished Vanderbilt. I mean, they they, they, they beat Clemson in, in a dogfight, and they showed they can. Um, I think they're going to beat Arkansas handily next week. So I just think they were, they were, I mean, it's obvious they were way outmatched, but also from a scheme standpoint, I know you have some things to touch on in that regard, but uh, Clark Lee, he's always going to put it how it is after the game. Um, and, and you could really tell that Georgia also will. They wanted to start fast, and boy, did they. I mean, they started with a vengeance. Georgia executed everything perfectly from the opening snap, and Vanderbilt did not execute well on top of being outmatched. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's not that's, a great recipe. Yeah, it's not a recipe for success. It's a recipe to get beat 62 to nothing. <laughs> You're pretty much right. And, and <laughs> you could, what I was saying, Will, is, is they wanted to make a statement. And as much mm -hmm. as Kirby Smart is going to shrug that off and say, no, we're not referring back to that senior night game, they were. I mean, their fans were, some of their players, I'm sure, were. They know they're not stupid. And, well, like you said, it didn't help that Vanderbilt was forced to cancel due to COVID issues on their senior night uh, last year. Combined with all the Georgia fans' built-up anger, it just set up. It was a perfect recipe for disaster. Um, and also, Will, I talked about at the top how we weren't going to dive into a whole lot from this game specifically but diving into more of the big picture and, and, and where this team's at right now. And, and I want to, I want to go to some of the fans, some of the Vandy fans right now. And I just want to address some wildly unreasonable expectations coming into the season. I mean, I've heard from a few people, um, you know, not going to name names, especially on Twitter where I mean, they expected this team to be a bowl, a bowl team and, and, and at least four or five wins. We both said coming to this season, well, we see Vanderbilt winning two, maybe three games. I think we agreed on that. Um, but if you look at the reality of this team and this program and where they're at right now, 21 players, 21 players entered the transfer portal after last season. This year's team has little to no depth because of simply because, and this is the only reason, simply because of the damage that Co Coach Mason and his staff did to this program. They allowed that to happen. And this is also on Vanderbilt's administration. So that's what I point to. Yes, Clark Lee's team is out there competing, but these are not his players. And that, that I don't know why it's so hard for people to believe that. That's all there is to it. I'm, I'm, 
you know, and I, I know we both went on and, and I said, I'm not going to put all uh, every loss on coach Mason and, and of this season, but to an extent th that's what you're pointing to here. And anyone who expected this team to win any more than four games is in over their head. And it's no doubt one of the most difficult rebuilding jobs in my mind will um, that any coach might have in the history of college football. I mean, he, Clark Lee's building from essentially nothing. I'm not, I hate saying that about this group of players, but there's just no depth. He has some talent, of course, but Chris Pierce might be the only NFL uh, projected guy. I think Shepard down the road could be. Uh, who knows about Cam Johnson and maybe even some of those defensive players. But, uh, man, it's just it, it's, it's hard to blame a lot of this on Clark, Clark Lee and the staff. And even some of these, pl these players right now, I mean, they're, got, they're in a tough spot right now. I mean, they, they have very little control, especially with this staff and, and the way I mean, it's team one. And I know people, some people at this point hates, hate hearing that term, but it's team one of the culture and this team matters. This team, it, and obviously year two, year three, it's when you're going to start seeing some building, but this team matters. And this is where you start building the culture. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Well, I know you're in complete agreement as well. Well, everything, I can understand criticism somewhat that we have been positive. We, we've tried to keep things positive, but that was prefaced by the fact when we did our season preview for this team, I said I would not be judging Clark Lee off wins and losses. No. Because you look at this roster, and there is no way that this team was going to win more than four games. It was an impossibility, and that is – I don't want to say that because I like a lot of the guys as people, and mm. I think they play hard. But it's just man for man. There is no scheming. There is no anything. When you watched what that Georgia defensive line did to Vanderbilt's offensive line, there is no protection scheme. There's no game plan that's going to make you be able to compete with those freaks of nature on the other side of the ball. And I have never been accused of being a positive fan. I am usually quite pessimistic, quite glass half empty. Yeah. So to rip into Clark Lee and staff on their game plans going in through the first four weeks of this season. I want to preface all of that by saying that every comparison to saying James Franklin year one and saying, oh, look what awful. he did year one is probably the stupidest comparison that I've ever seen from Vanderbilt Twitter, because I want you to look at that roster that, that James Franklin inherited. James Franklin, I want to repeat that inherited yep. he did not recruit any of this nfl talent i believe there were over 15 guys that played in on an nfl roster on that roster jordan matthews chris boyd zach stacy andre hell tim fuger casey hayward kenny ladler jordan rogers jonathan cross wesley johnson i can keep going the list continues that team was insanely talented and he had a stretch when he was at vanderbilt that all of those guys were there and he was able to combine that with the worst the sec east has ever been in the last 30 or so years that combination i believe he didn't the big knock on him was he beaten what no ranked teams until georgia yeah um, in yeah. 2013 so james franklin benefited from a combination of the most talented roster vanderbilt has had in the history of the program Maybe if you say comparatively back in like the 1920s yeah. um, is the only thing you could even point to that's relatively there. So all of that to be said, yes, Clark Lee and staff deserve some criticism. That ETSU loss is absolutely on their shoulders and completely yes. unacceptable. And there's no getting past how unacceptable and terrible of a job that was by them. However... There is no combination of the ghost of Bear Bryant and Nick Saban if you put them on that sideline on Saturday. Vanderbilt was going to lose by 45-plus points, and they could have 
Georgia could have with Kirby Smart put up 150 points on Vanderbilt if they truly wanted to. So there's no scheme. There's no game plan. That's why in my three main takeaways, I'm going to be referencing the first four weeks of the season and not just referencing this. Yeah. And, and we've been in complete agreement on this for a while now. And, and, and Clark Lee, we love the guy, you know, we love him, but we also, we're going to put blame on him. I mean, that's natural. And he's going to put blame on himself. He's we've been, we've tried to be as straight up as we can be uh, with this coaching staff in this program. Um, and there's still a lot of season left. They, they still have a lot of, of, a lot of room to grow and a lot of, a lot of room to show things. And now they lost 62, nothing to Georgia. They lost to ETSU. Um, but you know, they, they responded with a win at Colorado state and, and it's going to be interesting to see how they respond against UConn. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but uh, it is time for a stat report though. Will and, and again, there's not a whole lot to get Not to. much of a stat report this week. Yeah. <laughs> Should be a pretty quick run through. It's mostly Georgia. Uh, Stetson Bennett <laughs> had better stats than JT Daniels. That tells you a lot. Uh, 11 of 15, 151 yards and a touchdown. Daniels was in for what, the first quarter? He didn't even uh, make it through the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, that that, that tells you a lot. 9 of 10, though, <laughs> uh, 129 <laughs> yards, 98 QBR. Uh, and then they also got Carson Beck in there for uh, a few possessions. Uh, Zamir White, 9 carries, 48 yards. The, bottom line, they had 241 yards rushing. They were rushing at will. Uh, and the tight end was loose multiple times. We'll talk about that. Brock Bowers, four catches, 69 yards. Uh, McConkey. I mean, these guys, they, they haven't done much for Georgia, but they just put them out there uh, on these jet sweeps and, and on the edge. Vanderbilt was not there. So um, that, that's that's pretty much uh, the, the, the stat line for Georgia. Mike Wright had more had better stats than Ken Seals. And again, these stats are basically telling you nothing. Uh, Mike Wright, three of nine, 16 yards. Uh, one interception, Ken Seals, two of nine, eight yards, one interception. Stellar. Um, yeah. Uh, Mike Wright also led the team in rushing, eight carries, 41 yards. Uh, Cam Johnson, one catch, 10 yards. I mean, some of, some of these numbers are just – you could look at these and 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 essentially think of a JV versus varsity matchup. I mean, that, that's basically what you saw. Um, and so, you know, I, there's not much to say about the stat report. But one thing I want to talk about before we get into – uh, the, the three main takeaways, Will, is the lack of tight end coverage on this team. And, and, and this has been something they struggle with against ETSU a little bit, but it reared its ugly head against Colorado State when you saw Trey, uh, Trey McBride get open a few times and, and run, run, you know, run after the catch for about 30, 40, 50 yards. And, and that's something – that's one of my main complaints with this staff and with Clark Lee because knowing him as a defensive guy, you wouldn't expect this much of, uh, you know, this many tight ends being wide open. I mean, Brock Bowers was basically uncovered uh, on a lot of those play action plays. And, and that's one thing that as a defensive coach, you know, do you look at the coaching or do you look at the players? I think this is on the coaching. I mean, you have to ingrain these players in their mind that, Hey, the tight end, they're looking for the tight end here. This is how they think uh, they're going to be able to score. So, well, I mean, the tight ends that that's been my main thing uh, with Clark Lee and the staff defensively. I, I don't pretend to know what Clark Lee's attempting to do in that four-two-five as far as covering tight ends is concerned. I'm, I don't have the X's and O's sheet above me. What it looks like has been consistently happening is the tight end. A lot of times you could say these tight ends are extremely athletic. I mean, they've played Brock Bowers and Trey McBride, who have both had incredible games against yeah. them. But both of those guys are probably first or second round picks. So you could say maybe it's just the concepts they're designing. They just don't have the guys to keep up with them. And I would agree with that until you actually watch the games and you see that they're just unaccounted for. Mm -hmm. There's nobody within even five, ten yards of, of these guys. Mm -hmm. So when I went back and watched the Colorado State game and the Georgia game, 
what seems to be consistently happening, and you saw it if anybody wants to go back on that last drive from Colorado State and watch the Trey McBride touchdown, it looks consistently like Owusu on the outside. They're running type some type of motioning Rob. the tight end out, and Owusu's having to contain the quarterback on the outside as well as that tight end is coming off the edge in kind of a little bit of – it's not a drag route, but kind of a yeah, loose a, out route concept yeah. kind of. Uh, flat route and Owusu is coming up on the quarterback consistently trying to pressure the quarterback and the quarterback is just dumping it off yeah. to the to the tight end immediately I don't know if the micro will linebacker is supposed to slide over there and cover but there's no way that's going to work ever against a decent mm-hmm. tight end you're never going to be able to get over there in coverage and a lot of these completions to tight ends have not been over the middle of the field they've been on corner routes they've been on out routes and just consistently they're uncovered. So I don't know if this is Clark Lee not accounting for how Georgia was going to utilize Bowers. And I would say it's just a difference in SEC caliber of tight end that your linebackers right. aren't able to shift over there quickly enough. But Colorado State's not an SEC team. So they, this is the first SEC matchup for Lee. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be, have to be a complete concept change now because I'm afraid that this is going to be something that now teams have on film for four straight weeks and say this is a part of this already porous Vanderbilt defense that can be exposed even more so their lack of accounting for tight ends. Right. It's, it's one thing to say, you know, you get fo- your focus too much on the run, but these tight ends are running wide open. I mean, they, they are they are wide open, and it's almost like, like well, you said. And it's happened multiple times, Billy. I, I, I wish I had the timing because the only one that I've actually written down is that last Colorado State, but it's, ha- it's happened four or five times throughout this year where that exact same type of play, Owusu, has pushed towards uh, to apply pressure on the quarterback and left the tight end. Yeah passing lane open and i don't understand it keeps happening over and over and over i just you saw it happening at stanford and it's the same thing they do it's not just you've actually seen where Dericky wright i believe actually knocked down the pass on the play against stanford where mm-hmm. they actually had it covered pretty well but it's that play concept so if you want to go to that Dericky wright play against stanford where they actually defended it well I would actually like to see somebody break down the differences in those two plays and how they were yeah. defended. Yeah, and knowing Awusu and, and Dericky Wright are the, at the anchor position, it would seem like those guys are responsible for the tight ends. That, that's, what, that's what I think. Um, but again, in certain plays, they, they may not be a, a able to because either they're blocked or you know whatever. So we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit deeper um, you know, when we find the, the, that film. But let's get into three main takeaways here. And, and these, again, a lot of mine are big, bigger picture. And, you know, kind of looking at how Georgia was able to dominate. But for me, Will, number one was the, the pure ease at which Georgia was able to move the ball. I mean, it, it looked like they were just playing around with that defense and they were they were trying new things and they were trying to introduce new packages. And, and they did. I mean, the rushing the ball, they, they, they ran for over 240 yards. But um, a lot of what I saw was Georgia trying to trying to create more space and get outside on the edge because they knew they could beat uh, Vanderbilt on the outside. But it was varsity versus JV. That's what I keep thinking about. The ease at which they moved it was unreal. And and so I just think with this, yes, George is a really good offensive, both, I mean, and defensive team, but the way they move the ball, not necessarily a good sign, especially against some of these other SEC offenses that have some really good, nice weapons as well. Um, so they're going to have to clean a lot of things up defensively, but man, they got manhandled. And I, that leads me into the my second one, but they, it was just too easy for, me, for, for Georgia. 
I think it makes it feel even worse, Billy, when you see the when you see your you lose thirty five to you're down thirty five nothing within eight minutes of that game starting. And yeah. granted, that was some on the offense consistently going three and out the fumble and the kickoff return. But Georgia didn't even have a play all game over thirty yards, I believe. So that means yeah. that Georgia wasn't hitting these big chunk plays to run up the score. They were consistently just running the ball down Vanderbilt's throat and gaining between 10 and 20 yards on almost every single play. I think they yeah. averaged 10, they averaged yards, 10 yards Yeah, yeah. So that is even more concerning is that Georgia wasn't even taking deep shots and it was missed assignments or blown coverage. This was simply JV versus varsity, like you said, but yeah. I'll go into my number one point here, which is... The offensive game plan that I've continued to hype on has been harp on has been complete garbage through four straight weeks. Even in that Colorado State game, it was absolute trash. And the and I've been really focused on the on the idea of throwing it on both first and second down, something Vanderbilt has not done. Um, They did it twice technically against Georgia. But what they really did it one time because the other time was when Mike Wright was in the game and it was two RPOs. Yeah. So it wasn't really a pass, but it was kind of screen games. Yeah. But what the real issue is here is predictable first down play calling. Um, and this kind of hits it at what I've been hitting on the entire season as to why Vanderbilt's offense has struggled so badly mm-hmm. is Vandy runs an inside zone concept on almost 43% of their first down plays. That's not just runs. That's not screens. That is an inside zone run mm-hmm. concept 43% of the time. Now I want to say that before we get, before we get into it, that's on first down, right? Before we get into this and say, let me find the stat real, real quick that the sec in general runs an inside zone run concept on first down, not even 21% of the time, 20.5% of the time. And the success rate for Vanderbilt is almost half of what that is of the rest of the SEC. So Vanderbilt runs that same type of inside zone read, double what anyone else in the conference does, and they're not successful at it. And that just leads to the fact that if teams can predict that you're not going to take that shot on first down and they can consistently capitalize on, you're not even going to get creative with outside zone run stretch plays, your pitches or screens that they can consistently predict 50% of the time, basically you're just going to run up the middle. Mm -hmm. Well, then that sets you up on second down for a lot of bad situations and third down, which then leads to Ken Seals getting in bad spots and that offensive line being put in bad spots where these defensive linemen with an already outmatched offensive line are able to pin their ears back and not even worry about containing the running back or quarterback. And I do want to say that some people could point to and say, well, Vanderbilt hasn't had a lot of close games. So they had this Georgia game, maybe that's played in. So then I narrowed the cat, narrowed the offensive concepts and offensive schemes down to when the games are just within 21 points on either side. Mm-hmm. So just when the game is within striking distance, within three scores for the SEC and for Vanderbilt, Vandy still runs the ball inside zone concepts almost 40% of the time, 39.6% of the time, the rest of the SEC, 22%. And this alongside the offensive game plan before any QB date, debate starts, I just want to say that Mike Wright, as much as I love the guy, is not QB1 material whatsoever. Yeah, And I think he can be very effective if they can utilize him in some RPO read option packages. But Ken Seals on this season has a 52.4% completion rate. Mm -hmm. But his accuracy percentage is 64%, meaning he places the ball where it needs to go 64% of the time. Mike Wright's completion percentage is 40%. His accuracy percentage 
also 40%. So Ken Seals is being set up in a lot more situations to not succeed, while Mike Wright is being put in these situations to succeed. And the quote I said to one of our writers, Jacob Scholl, who I was discussing the game with, I yeah. said, Mike Wright puts you in the best position to have a scoreboard at the end of the game that doesn't look as bad. And he's right. going to have a little bit of success running the football. He's probably not going to turn the ball as much, turn the uh -huh. ball over as much just because of the concepts they right. utilize. But Ken Seals gives you the best chance to actually win a game. Yeah. Now he may make the final scoreboard look worse against a Georgia, but he's going to give you an opportunity to beat Colorado State. If Mike Wright is the quarterback against Colorado State, Vanderbilt does not win that game. Mm -hmm. So just moving forward, I really don't want this to turn back into a QB rotation just because of what happened against Georgia and the lack of success this offense had. So I want to see a massive, 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 massive improvement in offensive game plan, first down creativity against UConn. And if I don't see that, you are probably going to have me about as angry as I've ever been on this <laughs> podcast, which is certainly saying so. We're going we're gonna to see an upset, Will, if it, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, I agree with you, Will. The lack of creativity was, was kind of surprising. I mean, I think offensively, Joey Lynch knew what he was going to be able to do, and it was very slim. Like, he knew the success he was going to be able to have. Um, but, you know, there were no trick plays. You know, you didn't see any kind of, you know, uh, new wrinkles, I, I don't think. But, um, you know, we, we'll, we'll continue to, to, to see what they do offensively. But for me, Will, my number two takeaway rolls kind of off of my first one. And it's Vanderbilt is a long way away from competing in the trenches with, I think, any SEC team. Because Georgia is a good uh, is a good team to kind of learn that off of because, you know, they're the most physical team in the SEC, I think, at this point. But even with some of those lower-tier teams, Kentucky's a really physical football team as well. So is Tennessee right now. They go with tempo, maybe not as physical, but even, you know, a lot of these teams, they're either really physical or they or they run their offense with extremely uh, up-tempo pace and, and a type of uh, style of offense. So I just think – I'm not saying we learned this against Georgia. I think we learned this against ETSU, <laughs> that, that this team has a long way to go. Uh, but I think we just kind of it re it reiterated that that this team has just such a long way to go and 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 this is not a one year fix this is a two three year fix uh, from that point of view so defensively maybe not as much but offensively it's it's a whole lot longer road just because of the way that offensive line looked against Georgia's D line and Georgia has probably the best D line in the country uh, so you know we'll have we'll have a few more. Um, you know, manageable defensive lines to to judge this off of. Uh, but for me right now, I just it, it, I think this team's three three years away from from not even dominating, but competing in the trenches and 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 making making a respectable effort offensively, especially on that offensive line, because several plays will and they just got blown up. I mean, it was they were being thrown to the ground and and, and there was no room at all uh, to do anything. So I think a lot of the play calling is is based on. Joey Lynch is handcuffed right now. I mean, I'm not blaming it. I'm not blaming this on the O line, but um, and I wanted to see more creativity. But I just think from the trenches standpoint, this team's a long way away, and that, that coincides with the play calling. So uh, for me, that's my number two key: just lack of physicality in the trenches. And we knew that coming in, but um, you know that's something that was kind of reiterated against Georgia. Yeah, I. I think I'm going to go on the opposite side of the ball of where you just went also in the trenches for defensive line for my second key. And I do want to say that offensive line to me has not been 
the main issue. Of course, this offensive line is not a top-tier SEC offensive line, but given the circumstances and losing their starting center, I don't know that they performed that poorly. If you watch how Georgia's defensive line played against Clemson's offensive line full of four and five stars, pretty much the same story. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's just an offensive line in the country outside of maybe Alabama or those extremely top-tier teams this year, which Clemson clearly is not that are going to even be able to put up a semblance of an effort against that line just because of the talent level on yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and with this offensive line, you, you know, we talk about transfers. We talk about guys coming back. I think there were a little bit overrated expectations for this group. But, I mean, you lose your starting center. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, but I, I just think for this offense, it's more important uh, that they shore that up rather than the D-line. Because I think the D-line is a little bit easier of a fix, I guess. Yeah, I, I think probably I had really low expectations for the offensive line coming into the season, which is why I've been pretty positive related to them similar to last year. However, the defensive line, when we discussed this preseason preview, which is my key number two, was expected to be the strength of not only this outside of the receiving group, not only this defense, but the entire team. And yeah. they were expected to be the staple of that defense. And they have been by far the worst part of this defense. Um, they have one sack on the entire season that has included a game against an FCS opponent, Colorado State and Stanford and, of mm -hmm. course, Georgia. No yeah. sacks against Georgia. And it's not just it's not just the statistic of stats because the 425, just how the blitz concepts are, I don't know how many without an elite level pass rushers that currently Vanderbilt does not have on the roster. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many sacks are really going to be gained in this defensive concept until that happens. Right. But against Georgia and their offensive line is very good, but against every team they've played, the quarterbacks pretty much stand back there and take as much time as they need. And against Georgia, I don't even think that defensive line, not only did they not get a sack, when that starting group from Georgia was in, I don't know if the defensive line almost crossed the line of scrimmage on any pass plays. Literally, JT Barrett was standing back there, and the guy could have set up a tent, slept overnight, uh, <laughs> cooked up some s'mores, and then picked up the football and thrown it down the field. That is how much time he had back there and how little pressure he felt. Yeah, and that's, been a, that's been a scheme through the first four weeks. I don't know what the key is. It, I don't know how you fix it, because we looked at that roster and said this defensive line person for person, theoretically, should be one of the most talented defensive lines they've had in a while. Yeah. And they have absolutely gotten dominated week in, week out. And that and they've had it made up for by the anchor and linebacker positions and the secondary actually performing pretty decent up to this point outside of this Georgia game. So I don't know how you fix that moving forward. And hopefully we'll actually see some sacks against a pretty bad UConn team yeah, next I week. I think what we've realized, Will, is is against Stanford, this this D line is relying on their length and 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 speed off the edge. And when they don't get that, they're a very weak unit. Um, and and you know, Davion Davis is is obviously leader of the team and and you know has some size up front, but he's an average D lineman compared to some of these sizes of of T guys at Georgia. I mean, these guys not only long, but they are strong and and they have they just impose their will i think davion davis has done that at times but the strength of this d-line is the edges with elijah McAllister and even guys like alex williams who has received time and especially in the future they're placing an emphasis on that with linus zunk and uh, darren agu especially so i think that's the strength and when they can't do that you saw that against georgia there's just there's not much there's not much going so um that, that's kind of what i had there and i know i know you're that, that's your second key so uh d-line and and i think for our last keys here will i i tried to look uh from from a more more of a broader perspective but i, I kind of went with you and that lack of creativity on offense but not only the lack of creativity but the predictability 
and and you talked about mm-hmm. this for your first key, but this offense is just, you know, for a defense like Georgia, it's not, it doesn't even fall into predictability and, and creativity. It's they're going to dominate. We knew that, but even against Stanford and, and at, at times against Colorado state, you knew exactly what was going to happen, but at right after the next play. Um, so just, I think more, more, more creativity doesn't necessarily mean trick plays. It just means, okay, let's mix it up a little bit more and, and let's, let's give this defense something else to see. And whether that's more movement or a different route combination or what, um, not sure what 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 Joey Lynch is gonna is gonna go to now, especially when the the, the second quarter of the season um, in a team at like UConn where they can really show a lot more and we'll probably see more. Uh, but for me, well, it, it's it's a lack of creativity, but more of an emphasis on predictability because you know you know with a battle line that you're, you're already handcuffed. But when you know exactly what's coming, it's even easier for a defense. Uh, so I think with, with this offense, you got to surprise them somehow. You know, I'm not an offensive guru by any means, uh, but I, I just think you have to find more ways to surprise a defense and say, oh, we, we didn't expect to see that. Uh, here's a here's a double reverse or here's a you know, here's a receiver throw. Um, you know, it's just something like that to put them off 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 guard and, and surprise them. So that that's my last key. Very similar to your first key, but I think just predictability is what is what uh, they need to clean up as well and improve on. Yeah, we we touched on my key number three before we even got into keys. So I'm going to broaden it a little bit here is just this coaching staff inexperience shining through and really disappointing me thus far this season. Um, and I want to say all of this, these are not their guys. I think what Joey Lynch and Rye want to do is a lot more these quick, speedy receivers, um, more like a Devin body type, yeah. uh, out, as opposed to a Cam Johnson slot type or a Chris Pierce or even an Amir Abdurrahman, which we've rarely seen throughout this year. I don't yeah. think that's really what they want for this team. And they're hamstrung by the fact that they have Rocco Griffin, uh, Ziggler, who's a defensive back transfer and Patrick Smith, who was a freshman. So they just don't have the weapons right now. Their tight ends are not pass catching very good fast tight ends in Bresnahan mm-hmm. and Schoenwald. Schoenwald's a blocker. Bresnahan is a very possession type receiver yeah. out of that tight end position. But all that being said, I've been very, very disappointed in the staff. It was a lot of young gun coordinators moving up for the first time. And there's just been nothing special or no creativity. And some of that might be hamstrung by personnel. But we always say it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes. Well, they certainly have Mason's, Jimmys, and Joes who are not going to win you any games. Um, No offense to the guys, they're just not. They haven't done it in two straight years. What have you shown me lately? It's been losing. So, and But also, the X's and O's have been bad. This staff was completely outclassed by Kirby Smart and that Georgia staff. And that that was very prevalent from the opening snap. So what I want to see in the future is utilizing the playmakers you do have if you want to implement this 425 in a new offensive system that's fine but you have to kind of temper what you want to do with the current state of your roster and they don't seem to have done that to me and the lack of what i don't even know what word to use here but they're very stiff and set in what they want to do there's no flexibility as far as clark lee's game plan his concepts his timeout usage his adjustments he's going to do what he wants to do even if they don't have the talent to do it and i don't like that because they have not utilized very well getting their guys that are actual semi playmakers like chris pierce cam johnson into space in the screen game which allows you to kind of negate the fact that your offensive line is outmatched and you don't really have a lot of depth at running back and they haven't done almost any of that 
against Georgia, the only weakness of this entire defense was that inexperienced secondary had given up four 20-plus yard plays through the air and a lot of defensive pass interference calls through the air that had negated some of those other long gains. Vanderbilt did not attempt to pass over 11 yards, I believe, in the entire first half of that game. Um, And I have to go back and check that. They might have a couple times. This was just my observations from within the stadium. Is everything was quick and runs, which are the two... And I understand the defensive line was not going to give Ken Seals much time, but maybe bring in some max protect. And at one point when you're down 21 nothing, think maybe we just toss a couple up to Chris Pierce and see what happens. Because certainly nothing was working either way. And I don't know really what the solution is. I don't have the magical pill that they can take. I just think this team needs more explosive playmakers. And Joey Lynch and Clark Lee need to have a come-to-Jesus moment and realize we can't just run the ball up the middle every first down because this team cannot get behind the chains. And almost every single play of this season, they have not been set up in second and third and manageable. And that's going to lead to what we've seen thus far, which is Vanderbilt being by far the worst offense in the entire SEC. And here comes the train. Yeah, here comes the train. I'll take over. Uh, Will, what I think with this this offense and, and this team as a whole Yes, they should not have lost to ETSU. That, that, that's, uh, you can put a lot of that, most of it, if not all of it, uh, on that coaching staff and not having that team ready to go for week one. Uh, you go into, you go into uh, Colorado State on the road and you get a good win there. Okay, there's some reassurance. You come back against Stanford, very stale game. I mean, I don't think we'd learn much at all. And now you lose to Georgia 62 nothing, and, you know, you're heading, heading into a home game against UConn. So, uh, and I, you know, again, this UConn, beating UConn means literally nothing, uh, you know, virtually nothing. Uh, but what, what I want to ask and propose to you is – a lot of times in year one of a culture, and I know you've been a part of it in high school sports, so have I, um, and, and you know we've seen it from our standpoint being playing in, in, in sports and being a player formerly in high school, uh, but even at a college level, I think it's amplified where year one of a culture, there's, there, there's just, I don't know how to say this, but, but these are not their guys, yes, um, but essentially what you want to see from year one of a culture typically is yes an obvious culture change but gradual growth and and saying how are these guys playing are they being put in the right positions but what i'm going to ask to you will is how much of this see how how much of the losses this season and so far what we've seen from this team can we put on the fact that this coaching staff doesn't have much capability i mean you know nick saban could be coaching this team and I think a lot of the same issues would be bringing their ugly head. I really do. I mean, I don't think I, you could argue they wouldn't have lost ETSU and that's completely on coach Lee and the staff. I, I will say that, but other than that ATSU game, I really don't think there's a coach in America that could do more with this team. I could be wrong. I, I could be blatantly wrong there, but how much of this will from your mind is placed solely on these are not their guys and we're going to learn a whole lot more. And we could, there could be a little bit more of a fair assessment on this coaching staff in year two and three and four. Are you with me there or is that, or, or is that a stretch? So I'm going to give the unpopular opinion here. Um, and this is something that I've got to really hammer down my opinion on, but I've done quite a bit of research on it and I'm pretty confident in it. College actual X's and O's coaching, as much as we complain about it, is the most overrated aspect of any sport in the world is how good these actual X's and O's football coaches are. All that matters in college is recruiting. You can pretty much run down the list of wins and losses 
and say who's going to win based on their previous four years recruiting rating on 24-7 because the talent differential and talent gap between the number one recruiting class in the country and the number 40 recruiting class in the country is unbelievable. I mean, the, yeah. the player for play, it's it's almost hard to wrap your mind around. And that's not saying these guys aren't talented for Vanderbilt and teams like Mississippi State, but it's just a whole different level of talent from what these other guys have. If you swapped Clark Lee and Nick Saban's rosters right now, Vanderbilt would have the same record at Alabama. And the only difference is the inexcusable loss to ETSU. I think if we removed that, this Georgia game in 62 nothing week one and put the ETSU game in now I don't think Vanderbilt loses that game I think they win I mm -hmm. think we were in agreement there that if yeah. you had this game week four they would win that game you'd be two and two going into UConn and then you'd be hopefully three and two going into Florida and saying we're going to be three and three going into the last stretch of the season with six games that you're probably not going to be more outside of Ole Miss than a 20 and a half point underdog yeah. in and yeah. any of six games that are theoretically winnable so I put almost all of this loss on the talent level of the roster outside of week one against ETSU because, yeah, the final scoreboard may have looked better against Stanford or they may have beaten Colorado State by more, but I don't think you would have seen Vanderbilt beat Stanford regardless, and I don't think you would have seen this game be within 45 points regardless of anything. Now, if they come out and don't beat UConn by at least two scores, that's on Coach Lee and staff as well because then you can't blame roster talent because Vanderbilt's yeah. roster is way more talented than UConn, just like they were way more talented than ETSU. So that's why I said before the season started that there was no win-loss record that I was going to judge the staff on because there were really only two, two, maybe three, if you put Colorado State in there, games this entire season that you could say that Clark Lee is in a better position with talent level than his, opposing, than his opponent. And that is a, that's something you don't have in the NFL. It's why you have rarely, rarely seen college football coaches who have been very successful at that level move up to the NFL and be successful. Because in the NFL, the talent gap between 1 and 32 is very, very little. And each week, the talent gap is almost nothing. So it all comes down to 5 to 10 play calls that you execute and game plan for better than the opponent. That's why Nick Saban had no success with the Dolphins. As great of a coach as he is, he is more of a culture builder, CEO, recruiter than he is this game-changing mind of football. And I think that is the thing that Vanderbilt fans need to keep in mind is James Franklin, as creative as his game plan was, if you gave him this roster in 2011, that guy wouldn't have won more than two or three games. No, and that's, no. just, that's just what it is. And we have to be more realistic with where we are right now, where Vanderbilt is and where Clark Lee is with this team and say that even how low my expectations were going into the season, I think that the expectations need to be brought even lower because of the amount of talent they lost, because of the amount of inexperience. And it's going to take a while just to build up depth. You don't see a lot of teams with really three running backs on the roster in college. Most teams have eight or nine. You don't see a lot of teams with two capable tight ends on the roster. You mostly see eight or nine. So there is a lot of depth to be built up here. And there's a lot of guys to get in that actually fit what this staff wants to do. And that doesn't excuse everything that has happened because I've been very critical of their inexperience and lack of creativity. But all that being said, I don't think that lack of creativity is necessarily outside of week one ETSU going to affect anything to do with the win-loss total of this season. I, I still like to go back and point to the Colorado State win on the road, Will. 
And and the fact that they were they they did that and were able to do that after the worst loss in program history. I just don't I just home. don't give as I've, much credit to that. I it was a huge bounce back and a great job by the I staff mean, to you, do that. That Colorado State team. Is I know, not I know, good. I know, I know Colorado <laughs> I mean, State. I know Colorado State's not good. But and that game plan, Vanderbilt, man, they came out terrible. They came out flat. They played one decent half of, or one decent one point seven five quarter stretch, like I, what we saw against Stanford. It's just their talent level is probably bottom fifteen in all of FBS football. Yeah, I. So I, I'm, I, I that, that is why Clark Lee's was able to execute because they actually had at least even or slightly superior talent. And that's all that matters in college football. No, so he's going to have to get his ass on the recruiting trail because right now what he's got ain't getting it done. No, it's not going to get it done as excited as we are about the line of zunks. And like that, if he brings in a bunch of three stars, this team's winning three or four games the remainder of his tenure as Vanderbilt head coach. So he's going to have to change something because the talent level in this roster right now it's pretty bad. Yeah, that's obvious. I mean, we 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 know that. And and you look at it, this team that this the and next year's recruiting class, there's 14 nationally ranked recruits coming in. Mm-hmm. There are some hungry guys coming in that are gonna continue to change that culture. And last they know year, they have year, a chance to break into that rotation too, which is yeah. why I think that we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, and last year's recruiting class had six, six nationally ranked recruits. And you know, they're coming off a season with 20, 21 guys transferred. Mm-hmm. So this team realistically will is bottom five in power in power five I, I really i really do agree from a depth and, oh, and yeah. talent perspective so beating a team like colorado state yes i'm not putting a ton of stock into that but what i'm saying is they they were able to put together a game plan and defeat a team a a, a power five team um a, D, a division one opponent and and yeah I, i'm just saying i think that points to okay the capabilities uh, of this staff and again they'll have another chance to do it uh against uconn but i'm glad we're we're you know somewhat on the same page there um but well that, that's you know we, we could dive into the ins and outs of this for a, a three-hour perspective type of <laughs> podcast um but what i do want to want to get to is is the line against uconn and i was kind of surprised 14 point favorite vanderbilt has opened up as and i'm not sure what vegas is looking at i mean <laughs> i know vanderbilt beat Colorado to state on the road i think a lot of it is uconn is might be the worst college football program in the history of of uh, the world. Um, so if Vanderbilt doesn't beat them by two or three touchdowns, there are even worse issues uh, with this team. Um, but, well, what do you think of that 14-point favorite for Vanderbilt here uh, against UConn? Well, I said uh, right after we left that stadium, Vanderbilt um, open a minus 13 and a half. So I, I don't know if it's a good thing how accurate I usually am at predicting these or not or if it points to a bigger issue, but we'll move on past <laughs> that pretty quickly. The big thing I always point to these lines, they're usually pretty accurate, but these lines are set to get 50% of the money on either side so that the books can make money off the VIG. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Vegas is looking at this game and saying Vanderbilt's two touchdowns better than UConn. I think they are, and they should beat this team by at least two touchdowns. So preface it with that. But (laughs) if, if they put out a line that showed Vanderbilt at like minus eight and a half at home against UConn, like 95% of the money would come in on Vanderbilt. And they can't afford to have that happen. So they wanted to set the line to the point that betters would feel uncomfortable putting money on Vanderbilt. So I actually thought it would open. I, I misspoke minus 13. I thought it would open at minus 14 and a half, okay. um, but it actually opened slightly lower than I thought it would. But that you, being said, Vanderbilt has to come. Vegas or something? Maybe like, I am. <laughs> Maybe if I was, I would have a better setup uh, for this podcast than I currently <laughs> do. And I wouldn't be adjusting my mic all the time, but... <laughs> But Vanderbilt has to cover this game. I Even different than, this, than the Colorado State game, I'm not just going in. Winning is the basement for me going in. Um, there will legit, this will be the first game outside of ETSU that I go into 
that if Clark Lee loses, he may lose me if he loses this game. Um, that, that's I'll and say that, that right before. now before before the prediction podcast. This is legitimately I'm going on the record. If Clark Lee U- loses at home to UConn after losing at home to ETSU, I'm I'm out Are you on Clark Lee. No, I'm not out on the door report. I'll be on here <laughs> complaining about it. I'm, I'll, that was not even. <laughs> The tweets I put out about I'm me kidding, being done are just—they're just false. I mean, I've said that probably ten times. I'm—I'll I'm, never be done. I'm a glutton. I think for I think we've all said that as a fan of a team. We, we've but said this that this game is about as important of a game as far as getting a win as, as Vanderbilt's had in a really long time. And I think on the preview podcast we'll dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. But I think you're in agreement with me on that. Yeah. Really. And I think Clark Lee is very happy that UConn is still on the schedule, and he's yes, able—he's he he's, he's <laughs> able to show a little bit more of, of what this staff can do. And, and, and then it gets into what six straight sec games. Uh, and again, this is really a proving, a proving ground game for Clark Lee and staff. This was a redemption for ETSU and saying, look, we can coach. We can, we can come out and dominate an inferior team. And another thing, what I look at is Clark Lee talks about the response all the time. It's another chance to respond. Mm-hmm. I mean, you lost 62 nothing to Georgia. Here's how you respond. You you kick the shit out of UConn. That's how you respond. Yep, exactly. And, and against uh, against ETSU, you come out, you respond, you beat Colorado State on the road. And I know, you know, that it's Colorado State. They're bottom pack. So is UConn. And Vanderbilt's had those chances. Now, they're not going to have any of those coming. They're not going to have any of those, really, coming up here later in the schedule. As much as I hated on that Colorado State loss, Billy, I do want to say – I don't want to hate on to come off as too bad hating on that because that's a great bounce back game. Yeah, that, that's Vanderbilt. all. That's all. I was that, that's say. A, that's a hard mental thing to get by for the players. I I give credit to the players more so than I and just like I give credit to the players for the goal line stand against Georgia. They had already down five scores in the first quarter or second quarter. But the, as far as like proving something to me from the staff, that doesn't do anything yeah. for me. It's, it's all I was saying is it's it is it, this UConn game is a big turnaround bounce back just like that. Yeah. Well, I but think it's what, not necessarily didn't necessarily prove anything over the top to me with the Colorado State game. And I agree, you know. But I also think this the, again that Colorado State win showed that they're they're in it mentally and they get mm-hmm. they, they're mentally advanced. And you didn't see that again with, with Coach Mason's team. And I think that, um, you know, goes to show you that, okay, this team, they're as much as it's hard to say they're on the right path, uh, you know, they're somewhat, again, that Colorado State. They're moving I, in the I, right I, direction. We won't say they're on the right path yet, but they're moving yeah, in the right compass yeah, direction. Yeah, at this they're point. on like one of three correct tracks and they're going yes. the right way. Uh, maybe one, yep. maybe it's starting to go the wrong way but again they have a chance to uh to 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 counteract that against UConn and that's pretty much it well I knew coming in this is going to be somewhat of a short episode but Vanderbilt 14 point favorite over UConn and uh it's something that for the for Vanderbilt fans it's I think a lot of them might have been surprised but heading into it we'll uh, we'll see and it's going to be a fun preview Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to find a UConn uh beat writer uh I don't even know if anyone covers that team anymore but uh we'll have to see uh it's nice it's nice to play a program that's in like actually a worse state than even Vanderbilt was <laughs> with Sarah Fuller and Derek Mason and all that chaos. UConn is legitimately like I think close to not having a program anymore. I mean, it really, the their coach retired in the middle of the season. Like this is yeah. they're really about as bad of an overall football program. It is the worst I've ever seen, and I'm a Vanderbilt fan. So, like, that is the preface we're going to give leading into this preview. Well, I think the best Twitter video I've ever seen. Was UConn's head coach going up and saying, "All right, let's go, boys," and they all no just ale walked away. Nobody went. 
all right, boys, let's go. Stuck his fist up in the middle. All the players just walked away from him. Nobody came in and broke it down. It was that was that, when I, my jaw dropped. I've never seen I've seen <laughs> high school teams like losing like 70 to nothing in the third quarter. And I've still never seen that before. It's amazing. That tells you all you need to know about yeah. UConn football. <laughs> it really does. But yeah, that, that's pretty much it here for episode 110. We got 111 coming up later in the week, UConn preview. For myself, Billy Derrick, and Will Byram, you've been listening to episode 110 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.